Welcome to Sermons and Sounds of Plymouth, the podcast of Plymouth United Church of Christ. I am Pastor David, and on behalf of the members of this congregation, thank you very much for joining us. May God bless you through these words, and may you know God's love through them. Now, the podcast. Jeremiah is, at the time that he's writing this, he's in Jerusalem. Uh, Babylon has invaded the country of Israel and sacked Jerusalem and sent a whole bunch of uh, Israelite Hebrew people to Babylon, sent them in exile. When we talk about the Jewish exile, uh, that's it. And so Jeremiah is instructed by God now to write a letter to those people who are in exile, giving them uh, this news. So that said, I invite Sandy up. The Old Testament lesson from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Gospel lesson is from Gospel of Luke as we continue to read through that uh, gospel and Jesus continues on his way to Jerusalem that he has uh, been on the path for, as we have been reading for uh, a number of months, on his way to Jerusalem for his final week, knowing that he's going to be crucified, die, and be raised from the dead. Uh, and has a, a number of encounters, and here uh, he has an encounter with some sick people. So hear now and listen for how God is speaking to you through these words of Luke's gospel. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him, and keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. And here ends the reading. And thanks be to God. As so often in the biblical text, it is the outsider here, the Samaritan, one of these uh, people hated by the Jews, uh, that ends up doing the right thing, that comes back, that gives thanks, that uh, praises God, that Jesus is able to lift as an example. So often it is the outsiders that get paid attention to and that seem to get the message. 
And we're at a time where, uh, yeah, maybe outsiders <clears throat> uh, ought to be paid more attention to, in a sense, ought to be given more, uh, I don't know, more of our attention, more of our attention as, as Christians, as the church. The second of, of this passage from Luke, and especially this Jeremiah passage in the last couple of weeks, I like to read the scripture you know, a number of weeks ahead and have it kind of rolling around in my mind as, as things go on uh, and uh, events happen and try to put things in some kind of scriptural context. And I think we're in times that are similar to what Jeremiah and the people were experiencing and maybe even hear what uh, these lepers uh, and Jesus is experiencing at his time. You know, these strange and wondrous times. We live in a weird time uh, in history. I think in, in some ways it's a scary time. It's an anxious time uh, for us, uh, both here in America, uh, here in Eau Claire, but I, I think even just in the world in general, there seems to be an awful lot of anxiety out there and, and fear and things to worry about. So especially this passage from Jeremiah has come at a good time. It's become very relevant to me to think about, you know, Jeremiah is sending this letter to the Jewish people that had had a country, uh, but then got moved, forcibly moved. People put into exile, into a, into a foreign land. And there are many ways in which the church, the universal church, the all of Christianity is living in a kind of exile in a foreign land. Uh, the world has changed so much. Uh, and it's no secret, uh, I don't think if you've listened to the news or, uh, or read anything, I don't think it's any secret that the church, Christianity, uh, has been declining. Certainly in America, absolutely in Europe. Uh, Europe, uh, the church has really dwindled. The world has grown more secular, sort of. But there is within that also, uh, uh, I think, still a great sense of spiritual longing and spiritual yearning by people, but they're just not seeing the church uh, as the place to go to fulfill that. Uh, unfortunately, the church has been slow to change. And it's not new news, and, uh, but we haven't spoken about it much. It seems to be kind of maybe the secret of the church that we've just kept kind of under wraps or under the, uh, the covers. But starting in the 1960s, Christianity has been in decline for the most part, especially amongst the, the mainline churches. And it's not unique to Plymouth, not unique to Eau Claire, not unique to the United Church of Christ. We are, in a, in a sense, in a foreign land as our numbers have gone down and the general population has gone up. We are becoming residents in an alien land in some sense, just as, as the people in Israel had been exiled to Babylon. They were residents in an alien land after their country was invaded and taken over by the Babylonian Empire. And, and Jeremiah writes to those people in exile. It's good news from God. He says, don't worry. Continue to live. Be who you are. 
Plant your gardens. Build a house. Have a family. Have children. Trust in your future because God holds your future. And also he says, and because as you make your community better, you are made better by it. Imagine being sent to a foreign country. Everything you know taken away from you. And you hear these good words from God saying, go ahead and live the way you normally would. Don't worry. We're in a kind of exile time. What we have known as the church, who we have been, our traditions, it's all been up for grabs and tossed out and churned up. And people have been critiquing us from the outside because they, maybe they don't really know who we are or what Christians are, are about. We've been changed by forces outside of ourselves, much as a conquered people forced into a new land, uh, forced to learn a new culture and a new language and a new system of, of everything a new way of of being. And it's kind of scary. and causes some anxiety to have the world changing all uh, as much as it is and to see the church kind of changing and suffering from it. But I don't think we need to be afraid. Angels always show up and say, don't be afraid. Fear not. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Things are going to change. Something different is coming. But don't be afraid. God holds it all. God's in charge. God knows what God's doing. Let God be God. But I want to give you kind of a clear picture of what has has been happening. And maybe, you know, we probably should have talked about this much more publicly starting even 30, 40 years ago. But just the National Council of Churches puts out a yearbook uh, every year and the the last kind of statistics they've offered without having to pay the $55 uh, to get the statistics are from 2011. But in 2011, we think of what have been the big churches in the U.S. Presbyterian Church, this is just 2011, lost a little more than 2.5% of their members. The Episcopal Church, 2.5%. Missouri Synod Lutherans, 1%. Southern Baptist, half a percent. Methodist, 1%. The Evangelical Lutheran Church, 2%. United Church of Christ, 2.8%. All lost members in 2011. And since the 1960s, the mainline churches, and that's kind of all those that I've listed plus some others, the mainline, we're down 25%. Even as the population of the country has gone up, population in our churches has gone down by a quarter. The Presbyterian Church USA was formed 30 years ago. In 30 years, it's down 30%. The United Church of Christ is down almost half from what we were in the 50s. I think a big part of this is that people don't really know what we're doing. We have not been good at getting out the message of who we are. And what we're about. All of our churches have done brilliant ministry. We've been at the forefront of uh, gay and lesbian rights, women's rights, education uh, for women and for minorities, uh, and inclusive of, of all people. We have done incredible, incredible ministry, but people don't know about it so much because we haven't told them. We have been so quiet. 
about what we have done. And there's also no social pressure anymore really to belong to a church, so there's, there's just not that compulsion for people to go and join. And, and also we're kind of the victims of our own success as we have uh, educated our people more and given women positions of power and educated women and lifted everyone up, our birth rate has gone down. That's also been a big part of our, uh, of our uh, falling down. Even the conservative churches which have seen some growth, much of that growth is because they tend to have more children. It's weird, but that's the way it goes. Mostly, we have just been so quiet about who we are and, and what we're doing. We haven't wanted to be in your face. So we've done all this incredible ministry, but we do it kind of behind the scenes. We don't advertise ourselves. We don't talk about it so much. We're not out in public uh, trying to get the TV time or whatever because we like to spend the money on the ministry, on what we're doing. I was at the clergy retreat last week for the Northwest and Northeast Association with uh, some of our, our fellow clergy. And, and when we get together, there's always some talk about you know, some of the things going on in, in churches and you know, some anxiety, some tensions, some difficulties. But it's always been pretty you know, kind of minor, I would say typical stuff. But when we were together last week, I was amazed talking with these pastors the, the anxiety level and tension level in our churches has skyrocketed so high. And it's not just uh, church struggles, but a lot of this is feeding in from the outside. The, the toxic politics coming in, people, you know, uh, economic anxiety is still there. We've been in this long economic slump. That's really starting to wear people down. Uh, just the, the general discourse out in public has seems to be so nasty and, and mean, and that's wearing people down, but also some stress within the, in the churches with uh, declining numbers. And in a sense, this, uh, I think even a, an existential sense of wondering, is what we're doing, you know, does it matter? Is it worth doing? Uh, and I think it is. It's very much uh, worth doing. But it was interesting to see that it's just this tension and anxiety in churches. Much of it brought in from the outside, but some of it internal. And there are certainly those churches that are just simply dysfunctional, uh, that have always been tense and probably always will be tense until they figure out how to live together uh, in peace and harmony. But, uh, but the church has the, the counter message to that. We have the good news. We have the message of the gospel, which is don't be afraid and calm down. Calm down. God is in charge. Jesus has the reins. Our power comes from the Holy Spirit. God has brought us together to do God's work. And if God brings people together, God gives what's needed to get that done. The church belongs to Jesus. And so even uh, as the numbers have gone down and maybe the Christianity not so relevant to the outside community in ways that it was, it's also an exciting time. There are no more, uh, no more rules about what we ought to do or ought not to do. We're free to be creative, to rethink the church, to come up with uh, new ways, and we're free to lead the way of being the church of Jesus Christ bringing the good news of God's love to the people, you know, focusing on our, our communities 
that our churches are in and that gospel message that relationships are important and love is the key. I think that's the message to all that anxiety that's out there. People are searching. We have the answer. The hope of Jesus Christ. The grace of Jesus Christ. We have that answer. There is this longing I think, amongst people to want to know that there is something more to life than just going to work and watching TV at night or whatever it is that maybe they feel that they're spinning their wheels. People seek community, and that's where we shine. And certainly here at Plymouth, that's where we shine is in community, in loving one another, in being welcoming. So much hope and there is in this congregation so much spirit. The spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is in this congregation. I can feel it and I can see it. I mean, look how generous we are to the St. Francis Food Pantry and all the quilts that we make and the ministry on the street that we have been doing, going out and serving people, the way that we work together at, uh, at Pine Ice Cream and at thrift sales, the way that we, uh, when we needed the new dishwasher last year, how quickly we all rallied to make that happen. There is a generosity here and a love for one another. We know each other's names. The children here know the elderly. The elderly know the children. They like being together, which I think is wonderful. And unfortunately, kind of rare in churches. That's not typical, which is so sad. We pray for one another, we sing together, we eat together, we go on river cruises together. You know, sometimes we go and eat lunch together at Culver's or uh, Chuck's. Or, you know, we like to do things together, we care about one another. Uh, and I have to say, as I talk to other, other clergy and talk to some of our, our conference staff, people that know this congregation that have been here, that have visited, you this really is a functional congregation. This is a congregation that works very well together, that is very good at being the church. I think that is a huge, huge plus that not every congregation can claim. You are all really good people and a good congregation. We have something wonderful, wonderful here. I listen to some of the other ministers talking about what their churches are like. And this is even beyond just that stress level that's shot up this last year. I, you guys shine. You are the ray of, of light. There are many that, that hear me talk about Plymouth and go, wow, that's the kind of church I wish I served. I'm very lucky to be here and, and grateful for all of you. And you should be very grateful uh, to be part of this life. There's so much love for one another here and caring and adaptability, willingness to be the church of Jesus Christ. We have something really, really special here. We're open and affirming. We're very welcoming to people when they come through the doors. We trust that God is active and present and we can trust that God is doing something spectacular. We can say, yes, we are going to live here, make our community better. We will plant our garden and live as the resident aliens, in a sense, and bring this message out to the people in Eau Claire and beyond. 
I really think we have everything going for us in terms of how to be followers of Jesus, how to be the church, how to be a community together. In terms of really being a functional, good, vibrant church, if we're 90% of the way there, we're, uh, we've done most of, uh, of the, the work. You know, we're set to grow and to fill Eau Claire with their goodness, I think. And we're getting connected with the LGBT community and trying some other things. Uh, you know, the world is our oyster around here. There's so much longing from people that want a church where they can be accepted. That's not anti-gay, that's not anti-minority, that's embracing, that's loving, that wants to be out serving people uh, and doing ministry in the world. We're really good at all of that, but as I mentioned earlier, what we're not so good at is letting people know we exist. And it's not just Plymouth, it's all these mainline denominations. We've just been so quiet and so silent. But the good news is that that's not the hardest thing to do in the world, getting uh, the message out that we're here. That's not the hardest thing in the world. We've done the hardest thing, which is to be a church that lives together very well, that likes being together, and that's serving <clears throat> and following Jesus. That's the hard part. Uh, now we just have to get the word out. Now that's going to be a, a focus of us here, certainly in the upcoming months, to figure out how uh, to do that. And there are a lot of fancy things and clever things and programs uh, that can be done. Uh, and then you can buy and purchase or people you can hire to come in that'll give you the 10-step the program, blah, blah, blah. There's certainly some options around there. But as I've been talking with pastors uh, who are leading churches that have seen some growth and I've talked to, uh, to others and looked at, at materials, what comes up over and over and over is that regardless of of program or fancy thing, whatever fancy system one might come up with. What really, what it really comes down to, the one recurrent and constant theme, the program that really works, is the invitation. Most people come into a church because someone asked them to come, invited them to come. That's the part about not being quiet, letting people know that we're here. They come because someone has invited them. And I'm going to be focusing a lot of energy learning more about this because this is just not part of our DNA in the UCC or here. Uh, and the UCC as the national is kind of starting to get serious about this and starting to make some uh, materials and stuff. We're kind of uh, treading into new, into new ground here, and it is kind of scary, and, and I know that we're told not to talk about religion in, in public. Uh, we don't want to, you know, we don't want people to go out and look like Bible thumpers or be the screaming guy on the corner uh, making threats or uh, preaching the bad news to people. It doesn't have to be that, just a simple invitation to someone that you know, or your hairdresser, your barber, someone at the store, you get in a, uh, standing in line at the grocery store and start chatting with someone. You know, it's a good opportunity to invite them. And not to say you need to come to church that you don't go to hell. That's going to turn people off. <laughs> it's not a good way to bring them in. But to say, hey, you know what, I'm part of this community where you would be so welcome. 
and so loved, just as you are, this community of uh, kind of misfits and oddballs who would otherwise never have come together except for the gospel message. This place where I have found love and a place to belong and a place of meaning. Why don't you come join me in that? That kind of an invitation is hard to say no to. Some will, and that's fine. Uh, statistics say that it takes about 10 invitations for every one uh, that's accepted. But it's not rocket science. It's not really difficult. It might be very uncomfortable the first couple times. It certainly was for me, not part of who I was or how I was trained. But it can be done. And the more that we invite, the more invitations that go out, both by you offering invitations and me offering invitations, as well as some of the other things that we can do to let people know that we're here, the more invitations, the more people will hear the good news and have that opportunity to be part of a spectacular, wonderful community. And we are, uh, many people have been writing now that it appears the church is also in this kind of big reformation and transformation that it seems to go through every 500 years. It did about the year 500, about the year 1000, around the year 1500, that was Luther, Calvin, the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. We seem to be in another kind of big reformation. Uh, something's changing. And Jeremiah said uh, to the people that go and buy land, buy a house, prepare for the future, plant your garden, go about your life. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. Don't sit in anxiety or anxious wonder. Just go and live. Be my people. I think we're in the position for something new and grand and, and wondrous here, both in the church all around the world. Also here at Plymouth. Good things are happening and have happened. And this is something that we can be at the front of. And it means partly building the road ahead of us. We don't have a road that's been built for us. We're going to have to build some of that road ourselves, but not entirely because Jesus is already building it. Jesus has been constructing this new road uh, that, we're, uh, uh, that we're being invited to come along on and invite others to come and join us and plant a garden here in Eau Claire and bring our message outside these walls to a community that really needs to hear it and needs to know that we're here and needs to know the message that we have and experience the love and this community that we have here at Plymouth. Amen. And that is the good news for this day and for all days. Thank you again for listening to the Sermons and Sounds of Plymouth podcast. If you are in the Eau Claire area, we especially invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. And I invite you also to check out our website at pcucc.com for upcoming events and special worship services. From Plymouth United Church of Christ, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, this is Pastor David. Thank you for spending this time with us. May God bless you.